Good morning. Okay, well, we're halfway there. It's bedtime stories. Uh, I hope you had a great day, and uh, we're going to get ready to go to bed now. Uh, that's usually when I'm up here, right? Uh, before we get too settled in, do me a favor. Go ahead and stand up. I know we just sat down. Let's stand back up. Give yourselves a nice big stretch up. Stretch your arms down. Oh, straight out from your shoulders. You're going to have to spread out. You're going to have to spread out. So what I want us to do this morning as we're getting ready to dive into the word is this. If you would please spread out. If we have to go back a little bit, you know, we're, we've got a little bit of room. So I want about a seat's width between you and the person next to you. So if you're getting wiggly, you're not affecting the guy next to you or the girl next to you and vice versa. If the person next to you decides they want to be wiggly, uh, it's not going to bother you. So now you can have a seat. Let's space out a little bit and we're going to get started. As we're finding our seats, uh, I was thinking about this as I was coming up this morning to, uh, to share with you guys. Um, and I was thinking about a news article that I saw as I was coming in and something else that I really wanted to share with you. But uh, when we were getting ready to start camp this year, I saw a news headline and it was interesting. And it said, doctors in Alabama concerned about latest TikTok craze. And as I read further into it, the latest TikTok craze was this. Get your friend or whoever to video on their phone you jumping off of a boat moving through water at a high rate of speed. And that was the TikTok trend. Now, doctors in Alabama notably were upset and concerned because they had noticed that it had killed four people. So the new TikTok trend is you go do this crazy thing and then you die. Right? So four people had broken their necks in Alabama. I'm sure it's going on around other places too. Uh, why do I mention that this morning? Well, I wanted to share with, with you guys something that's been on my heart and uh, let you in on a little secret. If you're not aware, you were created for eternity. Right? You are not vapor. You are not just the life that you have here. You were created for eternity. It's our choice where we spend that eternity. We'll talk about that a little bit. But it's important that we start out of the gate right now and go, you were created for eternity. The soul within you will last forever in one place or another. My hope and my prayer and everyone else in here that are counselors or speakers, our hope and our prayer is that we are pointing people towards eternity with the high king of heaven. But it's your choice, right? So let's get started. If you would, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to get after it. Hi, King of Heaven, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the cool weather that the rain brought, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for freedom to be able to talk about you and not worry that someone's going to kick a door in and drag us out. Lord, help us not take, to take that for granted because there are some parts of the world where that's a reality. So, God, I just pray that you would meet us and that you would be with us, that you would speak to each and every one of us in this time that we have together. Lord, we love you, and it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. 
As we get into this today, I want you guys to take note of a few things. If you're taking notes in a journal along with this, we want you to learn a few more things about how to take notes in sermons and Bible studies. And so one of the things that I found really helpful that I'm going to encourage you to do, if you're writing this down old school with a pen, up in the top right-hand corner, put a little thing that says scriptures, underline it, write 2 Corinthians 5, that's where we're going to start. I'm going to hit a lot of other passages as well this morning, and you're going to want to make note of those as we go. I might not unpack all of them fully, so if you hear the reference, write it down, and then you can go back and you can cross-reference it later. Uh, It's an important way to learn how to to listen to a sermon, and then always I have in the top right-hand corner, here are all the verses that whoever was speaking mentioned, and I can go back later and and find those and... and, um, look them up in my own time. So, 2 Corinthians 5, we read this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, here on earth is what he's saying, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we wouldn't be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is moral may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So that's here on earth. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, no one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he for all, that those who live might might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So we are created for eternity, right? And like I mentioned, the world that we currently live in would really love for you to not believe that. And it would love for you to think that you are ephemeral, that you only matter in a 90-second video clip or soundbite or TikTok video. The world is aimed to teaching you now that nothing matters but what's right here and do whatever you have to do to get as many likes because after this, there's nothing left. That's what we're dealing with, all of us. And you've heard us talk about this at night, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning, but you've heard me say at bedtime stories that our aim as we go forward as speakers, as counselors, is to help equip you to take the fight to the enemy. Because for so long, the enemy has been bombing us in our own camp, and we've been putting up with it. And we've been dialing into things like social media and TikTok and, and doing things like eating Tide Pods and jumping off of boats at a high rate of speed. Because the enemy wants you to kill yourself physically or emotionally so that you can't be effective and you can't take the fight to the enemy's camp. That's what all of that is. That distraction, that trying to teach you that you are not eternal, that's all that is, is trying to neutralize a threat because each and every one of you can pose a threat to the enemy. Right? And that's what we're about. So we need to live like nomads while we're here on earth. We need to live as though we know we aren't going to stay here forever. That we are made for eternity, we're created for eternity, and we're going somewhere different. But while we're here, we have a job to do. All through scripture, you see this. You see different passages. You saw in the beginning of this in 2 Corinthians 5, we have a tent home. This is not a permanent place for us. Elsewhere in scripture, we see the way that we are called as people of God to be set apart, to be made holy. We're created to dwell with God forever. You know, I'm an Old Testament guy, so I've got to go back to the Old Testament a little bit. In, in Leviticus 20, verse 26, it says this, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So from the very, almost the very, very beginning, but in the very beginning, but here in Leviticus 2, God's saying, I have already claimed you. You are mine. All of this pointing to who Christ will be for us in the future, but also saying, set apart and eternal. I created you for something not here on earth, right? And so what we have to be able to, to think through and come against is the fact that throughout all of the stuff that we're going back to, right here at camp, it's safe, it's easy. We're being reminded all the time of who God is, we're, giving, we're, we're learning ways to connect to God and those conduits of grace and love, and we're living in our eternity now. But we want to prepare you to go back from here to your homes and thrive and flourish and not only succumb to the attacks, you know, to, to be able to fight those, those attacks um, and say, no, 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 I'm going to live eternally from here on out, but also to help others understand that they are also created for eternity. So through language like tent dwellers or sojourners is another great word in the Old Testament. Over and over again, the Hebrew people were reminded of sojourners and they were transversing through the desert 
in uh, around Sinai as they were making their way to Canaan in the land of milk and honey. And God kept reminding them, you are sojourners. You were not dwelling in a place. Iris and I got to be in Israel a couple of months ago now. And while we were there, we had this incredible opportunity. And we were sitting on the Mount of Olives looking out over Jerusalem. And we had this incredible tour guide. And she reminded me of what we're talking about now in those moments as we're sitting out and we're looking into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where Christ will come back and where his feet will land and placed on earth first. And she said, you know, you guys are going to be going back to the United States soon, but you need to be aware that's not your home, right? She said, once Christ returns, everything will be remade here in New Jerusalem. This is your home. And as we sat and we looked across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, I really understood for the first time what that felt like. And I, we, came back, we came back to the United States and we were getting ready to do the next thing. And there were days that I was homesick, that I really kind of yearned for that place. I think that some of us, when we leave camp, we're going to feel homesick for this, you know, we could have stopped after Ruffin got up first thing and reminded us all of how we stay connected to who God is when we go home, right? Staying in the word, staying in worship, staying in communion with other believers. We've been able to enjoy that and live in that. And I think for some of us, that feeling of how do I chase that camp feeling when we go home, that is a homesick yearning for what Christ will be bringing us in the end days. But until we get to that, we can live out our eternalness, our nomadic nature while we're here. So there's three things that I think we need to be reminded of and remember this morning as we talk, if we're going to really live into a nomadic nature, that we're really going to live into the fact that this isn't our home. We are tent dwellers. We live in a desert. It is a lush, beautiful desert here in the United States where we want for nothing, but yet it is still a spiritual desert that we live in and we're only going to be moving through but there are three things that we need to try we need to talk about right now for how we live with that eternal perspective as nomads first we know this isn't our home and because it's not our home we don't get to make the rules all right so that's first thing we're going to talk about we don't make the laws second if we're only traveling through we need to travel light we need to get rid of some stuff. We'll talk about that, but we need to be able to travel light. And third, if we're going to live nomadically while we're here on earth, we need to live in such a way that others may also come to know that they are eternal. There's someone back over in this corner right over here. I saw we were worshiping. wearing a T-shirt that says, treat other people like Jesus. What? Can you read it? You're wearing it. Treat other people like Jesus died for them, right? Exactly. And that's something that we need to embrace and think about, and we're going to talk about because that is an aspect of this. If we live our lives in such a way that other people come to know their own level of eternity as well. So, we can't talk together this morning without going back to Psalms 119. It's just too good an opportunity. So Psalms 119, verse 19, one of my favorite passages 
within Psalms 119 and in all of Scripture says this, I am a sojourner on earth, so hide not your commandments from me. The psalmist, and we we will probably dive into it tonight in bedtime stories, this entire eight verses, but what the psalmist is saying here is this, I am a sojourner. I don't belong here. I know that I am a traveler. Hide not your commandments from me. Show me how I need to live. Show me how I need to operate. Anyone in here, just a quick show of hands, traveled overseas? Okay, anyone in here, just a quick show of hands, traveled to the other side of the country? All right, great. Anyone in here traveled to another part of their state and they were like, wow, you guys are weird. This is really different from where I'm from, right? Yep, okay, so... We all understand the concept of when we're traveling somewhere new, we need a guide. We need a guidebook. We need a way to understand how we operate. We are responsible to put ourselves under the laws of whatever land we go to. Great example of that that I, I laugh about now, but early on in our ministry, and Iris and I run a nonprofit that helps missionaries around the world. and. I have been able to travel in a lot of different countries, and I was coming back from Haiti one time. And Haiti is an interesting country because the Haitian government has two sets of TSA checkpoints when you're leaving the country. You go in, you get your tickets in an unair-conditioned airport hall terminal. It's packed, it's crowded, it's loud, there's chaos. You queue up, you go through a line, belt off, shoes off, bags open, everything gets scanned. You get all of your stuff, everyone's okay. You go from there, you get them to check your passport. How long have you been here? You know, 10 days, whatever, great, stamp, stamp. Now go stand in this line and you go around the corner and you're standing in line to have another security screening, exactly like you just had. It's called transit security. Some places do it, I don't know why, it's completely unnecessary. They're doing the exact same thing you've just come from, but you know what, it's their country and it's their rules and you're gonna do it. So we're standing in line. Iris's brother, Anthony, traveled with me, and we're standing in line in transit security, and there's a guy in front of us who's doing his best impression of the Ugly American Act. If you've ever traveled and you have seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but the Ugly American Act is, I'm more important than everyone else here, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm embarrassed that I don't understand what's going on, and I'm going to make it everybody's problem that I'm having a bad day. And so this guy is really going all in on the Ugly American Act while we're in transit security. And so you come up in the gendarmes, and these are not like TSA security. These are guys with Uzis, and uh, if they're not here at the airport, they're fighting gangs. So they're not guys to be trifled with. And this guy is really upset that we have to do transit security. Even though we're in this country, these are the laws of the land, right? And so they open up his bag, and they're going through his carry-on, and they're taking out everything piece by piece. And, you know, maybe he should have packed better because his underwear was in there, and they're, they're letting everything out. And so he's getting more and more embarrassed and upset. And then they pull out a portable charger, just a power bank. And he's, he's now, like, hit the roof. And they're asking him, oh, what is this? And he looks at the gendarmes with Uzis on their side hips, and he says, well, it's just a battery charger, but you probably think it's a bomb. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that is the wrong thing to say at any point in security in an airport. And so the guy closes up his bag, puts everything there. He looks at me and he goes, did he say bomb? And I said, yeah, I heard him say bomb. And uh, then they just grabbed him by the elbow and escorted him through a closed door. And uh, I'm pretty sure he had a different set of conversations than the rest of us were having in transit security. And his day went from really bad to probably way worse. But the point is this, we're not from here. We're passing through here. So we don't make the rules while we're here. Sometimes we think that we do, we should be able to. Matthew, or, or Jesus in Matthew 7 reminds us of this. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? We are in a place in America in the church right now where we have a lot of people that think they get to set the rules, even within the Christian church. And they're telling you things that are not of Scripture. And Jesus gave us the heads up when he was on earth doing ministry, and he says, look, if there are things that don't jive with what I'm saying, take it back to Scripture, and you will know from the fruit that is produced in the lives of these people how true it is. So you need to be careful. You need to be aware. We're trying to rewrite some of the rules, even within the own, our church, and, uh, and it's not right. And if you come across that, it's time to find another place to worship. That's just, it's, it's that easy. It's hard, but it's that easy. We have a guidebook, and it's scripture. And like we've been talking about at night, it is that easy. If you can be in it every day, and you begin to learn the rules of the land, you're going to thrive and you're going to flourish while you're passing through. People, a lot of people, when they come early into the faith, they kind of look at the laws of the Old Testament and they go, this is crazy. What are all of these things in the Levitical law? What is that all about? It's really just ways that God's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. You're in a desert. You're in a desert where everything wants to hurt you and kill you and maim you and take life from you. And if you do the things that I'm asking you to do, because I love you, you will thrive and you will be protected and you will be safe. In a couple of weeks, I'm flying to northern Kenya to get to speak to a bunch of youth that are coming in for a conference. We're going to have a soccer tournament in the middle of the desert. I'm not really sure how it's going to work. There's no grass. There hasn't been rain for three years. But we're going to play some red sand dirt soccer. And I'm going to get a chance to speak to these students as they come in. Every time I go to that place in northern Kenya, it's a desert. And every time I go, I have to take different precautions because everything there is trying to kill you. For me, it's even a little bit more sticky than others. Uh, I kind of stick out as the only white American there. Apart from that, there's tribal warfare close by to where we work. So there's two different tribes, not the ones that we're working with, but they're two different tribes and they're constantly fighting each other and it's getting more and more violent. On top of that, Al-Shabaab, which is a Muslim extremist group, is also at work in the same area, and they would love to know what we're doing as well. And then we have animals, and outside of our camp at night, we hear leopards, and we hear reports of, oh, so-and-so lost another goat because the leopards were on the move. And then there are scorpions that will kill you, and there are snakes that will kill you. And if you survive all of that, 
the fact that it is hot and dry and arid and there's no water is also, it can kill you. So I understand what's going on when, when the Israelites are in the desert and God's saying, hey, do all these things so you can live. It's not because I want to oppress you or I want to have my thumb on you. It's because I want you to thrive and live because you have a purpose. You have a mission that I'm calling you to. You have a purpose and I need you to survive. And that's what scripture is for us. It's God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I need you to survive what I've called you to because you've got great things that you can do. I have great things in store for you. We also need to be able to travel light. All right? So there's a group, a tribe in northern Africa, north, more north than where I, I work, but they're Berber nomads. And they live their entire lives in these caravans, moving from place to place, from oasis to oasis. And their entire lives are packed up in their camels. Their whole families, they move, their nom- they are true nomads and nomadic, and they move all the time. And so they travel light, and everything that they own goes with them wherever they go. And because of that, everything that they have with them has its place. And I think that we can learn a lot from that because I think oftentimes we like to accumulate extra things. We accumulate a lot of extra stuff that holds us back that doesn't have a place in our life, in our caravan, as we're nomadically moving through this earth with eternity in mind and what God's asking us to do and calling us to. So we pick up a lot of different baggage. Some of it is emotional baggage. Some of it is turmoil and disunity within the church and within the family of the church. And we let disunity become baggage that we carry with us. Sometimes we let unforgiveness become baggage that we carry. That this person said or did this to me in such a way that I could never, ever forgive them. It hurt too, too much. And I understand. I understand what that feels like because there have been times in my life where people hurt me in ways that I never thought I could be hurt so deeply. And it took a lot of years to understand that what God was really calling me to do was to be able to forgive that individual, not for them, but for me, because I was carrying baggage I didn't need to be carrying. We let things like fear and anxiety be baggage and weigh us down and keep us from moving and traveling light as we are on this mission God's called us to. We also can pick up baggage in a physical sense. We don't take care of ourselves. We have poor health or we let addictions or vices take over. There's a reason why in scripture we are told to avoid certain things because it hurts us. Again, this guidebook is like you're in a desert, right? We're in a spiritual desert. Whether you realize it or not, we're in a spiritual desert moving through. And there are things in here that God and Jesus and Paul are all saying in different times, Old Testament and New Testament, hey, don't do this because it's going to hurt you, all right? Poor health and addiction are taking, the, taking a toll on too many of us and not allowing us to move swiftly and travel light while we're here on earth. We talked about with some of the guys' dorms a couple of different passages from 1 Peter. We talked first about 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded and alert. And then he goes on to say the enemy is like a roaring lion, right? 
The enemy wants to attack. The reason why he wants you to think it's okay to not be sober-minded is because it's easier to attack you when you are, and you're not paying attention. And this can go from alcoholism, drug abuse, all the way down to pornography addiction, and that dopamine hit because that's a drug, or just being dialed in to getting a dopamine hit every day, pulling up social media to feel better than whoever you see on that screen. And if we're feeding that as an addiction, the enemy is using it to keep you from being sober-minded so that you're not able to travel light and you're not able to do what he's called you to do. Peter also says in his first letter this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, again, sojourners, moving through this world, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. They keep, that you should keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, the first one is First Peter 5.8. And then the second is First Peter 2.11 and 12. As sojourners abstain from the passages of flesh. I'm just going to say this one time because I think we do need to hear it. If you're dabbling with any kind of sexual sin or any other kind of addiction, what you're telling Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, is that you don't trust him enough for your best interests. And I think someone needs to hear that. If you're allowing yourself to continue to go back to pornography, what you're telling the creator of the universe who created sex and intimacy is, I don't trust you for what you have best interest in, in my life. I'm going to take this one area and it's going to be something that I control because I can't trust you. Everything else, I'll trust you. But this one thing, I can't trust you on this. I'm going to take what I think is best. The same if you were giving your body to someone of the opposite sex or if you're considering or giving over to same-sex attraction. What you're doing is telling God, I can't trust you to have my best interests at heart. And it's wrong, and we've got to address it, and we need to repent of that. It's pride. At the, at the very core of all of that is pride saying, I can't trust you, Father. When he's saying, I've given you everything. I'm giving you, literally, I'm dying for you, right? And we trust him with our eternity, and we can't trust him with that. We need to really think about that. We also let ourselves get overladen with stuff, just stuff. I'm probably the worst offendee here in that. Iris will tell you, if you look in my office, I have more stuff than I need, and I'm trying to go to war against that and clear some of that out. Um, every time she comes in and she says, you have got to clean this office, I say, well, I want to feel like a wizard, and I'm surrounded by all of the different trinkets of my adventures. Um, and I'm like, look, that cricket bat I got in India with this pastor and this and that and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just stuff, and we can become overladen with stuff. We can let that drive to get more or have the next best thing overtake who we are in Christ, and then all of a sudden that stuff is keeping us from traveling light and being on mission and doing the things that God's called us to. So lastly, we want to talk about this. If we're recognizing the first two and we're going, how do we land from here? This is how we do this. We need to be able to live life in such a way that others may also come to know that they are eternal. 
if we can recognize our nomadic nature and we recognize that we're in a desert and as being desert denizens, we live in tents because we're not staying here, then it's our responsibility to help other people know that they're not staying here either. What a disgrace it would be if we knew we were in a desert, but we were going to a high country that was more beautiful than anything we could imagine, and we didn't let the next guy know, and he stayed there in the desert around his fire, shuddering in the dark and the cold at night. We have a calling to help lead others out of this desert place that we're in. We have a calling to live life in such a way that others see who Christ is in us, and they want to be a part of that, and they want to join the caravan that's going, we're going somewhere else. So we need to live in a way that lets other people know that we're created for eternity. Because like we said in the very beginning, there is a lot coming at you in this world. There's a lot coming at you as soon as you get home. You are going to be marked men and women for the decisions that you have made while you're here, and the enemy's coming after you. And they're throwing a lot of things at you. And they're trying to get you and others around you to believe that all that matters is a 90-second video clip and how many likes I can get when I do a backflip off of a moving boat and I snap my neck. That's how the enemy is coming after you. One way. So our greatest calling, if we are awake, is to try to lead others to Christ. We all have been deputized as ministers and missionaries when we sign up and we sign the conscription notice and we join his army. That's why we use the metaphors that we do and we say it's time to take the fight to the enemy because for too long he's been coming after us. Peter said it better than I can in the second part of the verse that I read. All right, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's the last point we have to get to. We live our lives in such a way that when others see us and how we live, they go, I want to be a part of that. I want to have what you have. There's something different about how you conduct yourself. I want to be a part of that. When we were reading through all of 2 Corinthians 5, and I chose that entire chapter of 2 Corinthians intentionally because it sets up if you go back on your own and with the other references it sets up the whole thing right in line okay we recognize we're tent dwellers we figure out what we need to get rid of in our lives and then we figure out in the end in first corinthians 5 20 that we are ambassadors and our job and our mission is to lead others into that same high country place to embrace the fact that they are also tent dwellers they're not staying here forever and they're going somewhere and we're going to point them to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, and we are making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled. Like I said, we are all eternal creatures. But where we spend eternity is up to us. And so I'm sure that while we're finishing up talking, there are probably people and, and names that are coming to mind for you that are like, I don't know if they know that they're eternal. You might have friends at home right now that you go, I know they are living for now, and they don't know that there's anything else. Or they've been told it and they don't believe it. So how can I help them understand 
There's a theologian named D.A. Carson, and he gives us a great example of this kind of interplace of not quite living with eternity in mind. And he says this in his book, The Final Discourse of Jesus Christ. He says, No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasure, and he does not love Christ enough to relish in holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but, his, but obedience itself seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in this world, yet the memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. So as we're talking this morning, if you're in a place where you're going, I have not yet fully embraced my eternity. D.A. Carson is showing you and telling you, you can't sit on the fence. You have to decide. You cannot remain ambivalent. You need to embrace your sojourning, tent-dwelling, nomadic life, knowing that you're not going to stay here. It's not for us to just remain in the gray and in the dim of dusk. It's time to decide how we choose to live. Several weeks ago, before we came to Indian Springs, I happened to be in South America. I was in Paraguay with a dear friend of mine that some of you know named Gabe. And while we were down in South America, in Paraguay, a news story hit that was an interesting one, and it caught me off guard. There were five guys in this story, and they woke up one Sunday morning, and they were filled with excitement beyond anything they could imagine. They were about to live out a dream that they never thought possible. One of them was a researcher who had spent his entire life studying the subject he was about to go see in person. 78-year-old man, he'd spent over 50 years studying a research topic, and he finally got an opportunity to go and see it. There was also a father and a son that were also with him and several others. There were five in total. And by the end of that afternoon, they were all crushed to death 14,000 feet below the sea. And while we were in Paraguay, and we were learning about the Titan sub-disaster, we were dealing with a different tragedy because a dear friend of ours, a missionary that we were working with while we were in Paraguay, lost his 14-year-old son to a rapid onset acute respiratory distress. We had been together the day before. We went to Greg's house. He came out. He was going to lead us into a village where uh, there were some indigenous First Peoples groups in Paraguay, right on the Brazilian border. And uh, you have to have a guide. You have to have a, someone that they know go with you. We're talking about a people group that has been so marginalized and literally hunted for sport by the people in their own country that they've moved so far into the jungles of the Amazon. And if you show up unannounced and you're not known and you show up in a 4 by 4 vehicle, you might not come back out unless you have a guide with you. So Greg was going as our guide to take us. And so we met him at his house that morning, and he came out, and he said, hey, guys, we're ready to go. It's going to be great. I'm not going to invite you in. My son has a little bit of a flu. Everything's fine, but let's go. So we spent the entire day, Greg and Gabe and I, and we were way out 
on a two track, 200 kilometers away from any semblance of civilization. We spent the entire day serving together. That night, Greg went back home. Gabe and I had to go to a different place in a different camp. And we were in a place where we had zero cell phone signal. We got back into cell range later on and we got the news. One of the other guys in the mission station down there said, did you hear what happened to Greg's son? And we had no idea. And they said, yeah, it wasn't the flu. We don't know what it was. But he got home. Everything was fine. He saw his boy. And sometime in the middle of the night, it progressed. And they were on their way to Asuncion. It's a five-hour, six-hour drive at best, in the best conditions, um, in an ambulance. His heart stopped something like eight times on the way to a hospital. Greg later wrote us in a WhatsApp message, and he said this. He said, he was with his son. And his last words, before they sedated his boy and intubated him, were this. Jesus will welcome you with open arms like a little lamb. Trust him. And it was the last thing he ever said to his son on this side of heaven. And he wrote to us in a way that was really interesting because he wrote to us in a way and he said this. This is one of the worst tragedies I think I've ever had to deal with. I lost my own son. But he said in the same moment, the Holy Spirit was such a comfort to he and his wife that he couldn't explain it. He couldn't understand it. He knew that he would be reunited with his son one day on the other side of heaven because he understood what it meant to be nomadic. So I'm going to close with that, and I want us to sit for a second, because that is a great example of what it really means to be nomadic, to understand we're created for something better. Those five guys in the Titan sub, I can't speak one way or the other what their beliefs were. I would like to hope that they knew our creator, but I don't know. I have a feeling, though, that they put their hope in the money that they had made to get to do these incredible things. And all of that is for nothing. It's stuff. And it's stuff that kind of holds us down and keeps us from living this way. And instead, I like to think about how can I live more like Greg and fully understand I'm only passing through here. So I'm going to close this in prayer and I'm going to ask that you bow your head and... I'm going to ask that you think and you pray and you ask God to just show you where are you in this nomadic journey. Maybe he's going to lay someone on your heart that you can go home and you can show um, that we're not created for this. Maybe he's saying, you know what, now's the time for you to fully embrace that you're eternal, that I created you to be with me forever and I want you to know that and maybe he's going to say you know what it's time to let go of some stuff you're carrying too much and I want you to be able to be on mission so I want us just to create space for God to speak to us however we he wants to right and then we're going to move into the next thing it's going to be a little different from our normal small group time as well but let's pray high king of heaven we are so so grateful for who you are Lord, we're humbled that you love us enough 
to protect us and send your son. Lord, that you love us enough that you want to be with us forever, that you created us for eternity with you. And Lord, that you love us enough that you make it our choice. Lord, help us to live out each day of our nomadic lives, pointing others to you. Ultimately, that's all we want to do. It's in your name. Amen. So we're not going to go into our small groups. But we also want to give you a chance to share and respond. We've talked about this as counselors and on the the Shingler porch. um, And part of our response to who God is and what he does in our lives is to share it with others. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Quick, brief, no long stories. Paul did a great job yesterday talking about what our stories are. So we're not dismissing. We're going to take the time that we would have for small groups, and we're going to do this. We're going to have a response first. If there's people here that want to come up now and just say, hey, this was the time. This was the place. God showed me that I am eternal. He's given me a new life. Great. We want you to come up and share that. If while you've been here this week, God's shown you, hey, I need you to travel light. You don't have to carry this stuff, right? If it's fear, if it's anxiety, if it's unforgiveness, if it's an addiction that you've been called to lay down and you want to share that because part of how we get stronger, like Paul was saying the other day, is we share with others. It's part of our story. I got parts of my story I'm really not proud of. God has redeemed me through it and in spite of myself and in spite of the things that I've done and the mistakes that I've made. That's part of my story, and he continues to redeem it the more that I share with others. So if that's part of your story and you want to come up and share, hey, I'm going to learn how to travel more light, and he's helping me lay this down, we want to give you an opportunity to come up and do that. And finally, what we really would like is for some to come up and say just a first name or uncle, cousin, grandfather, whatever. If there's someone in your life on your heart right now that you're going to say, I commit to going home to live in such a way that I point them to Jesus and I point them to their eternity, we really want you to be able to come up and share that. Because what that does is it solidifies in your mind and in your heart, man, that's what I'm working towards. Some of you have met Vera Ruth. She is a seven and a half year old firecracker running around in the back of the tabernacle. But there's one thing she's really good at, and it's that. If she's made up her mind, she will tell you. She walked right up to someone in our neighborhood once. She said, my name is Vera Ruth, Vera Ruth Luce, and I'm a Christian. And I think you should be too. And the neighbor was like, hey, you, you don't have to tell anybody that. And we're like, no, 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 no. Baby, you go tell anyone you want to. Right? And so this helps you solidify what you're going to do moving forward. What are you going to do when you leave here tomorrow or this afternoon? If God's leading you to go and go live out eternity in someone else's life, come up and share it now and make it real. Put some feet to your faith. So I'm up here. I'm not going to keep talking. I'm going to let you sit with it for a second. And we're just going to let whoever feels led to come up and share. Gideon, good man.
uh, for like a week now, I've been really burdened on my heart to uh, go tell the gospel to my Uncle Kevin. He's like 60 and has really bad arthritis in his back. He's had pain for like 10 years, and he's given up on the Lord completely. He's been walked away for a long time now. Uh, and I feel like my family has kind of given up on bringing him to Christ, and I don't want to give up on him. Hey, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Hey, you guys don't have to wait till the next person sits down. We can queue up just like transit security. All right? No worries. Okay, so it's kind of been a goal of mine. I have two friends. One of them's named Ava Kazemzadeh, who recently started going to church about a year ago, and she recently got baptized and gave her life to Jesus. So that was something that I became really proud of. So um, after that, I have another friend, Salima Manzor, who um, is Muslim. Her entire family is Muslim. Um, but me and my friend, Catherine Daniel, some of you know, um, are best friends with her. We know her through softball and things like that. So we've kind of just made it like our little mission to like, you know, continue to be a part of her life and continue to share the gospel despite like what her family believes and she's like very open to the conversations that we have and is very open to discussing them but um we just like want to continue praying for her and hope that she can eventually um be more willing to hear about the things we have to say to her and hopefully join us all um so i have this friend named taryn and um she she believes in god but I don't think that she knows that, I don't think she knows the power, and I don't think she's ever seen the, pa the power that he can give and that he, that he has. So this whole week I've just been thinking about her and just thinking about inviting her to my church and telling her to come and feel the, feel the power that Christ has and that Christ can show her and give her strength through it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Any others? I have a friend named Marley, and she is a Christian, but, like, she constantly looks for approval in, like, guys and stuff, and she does things that she knows she's not supposed to do, and then she'll come and talk to me about it, and she's like, can you make me feel better about this? And I'm like, uh... No, that's really not good, but I've just, like, stood in the background and watched her run into sin repeatedly, and this entire week, I've just felt the Lord telling me that I just need to, like, finally put my desires and my wants aside and not care what people think when I go talk to her because not many people like her, um, and it just makes my heart hurt to see that, but I'm just really going to pour into her and um, help her know that she doesn't need guys to be um, successful in life. Yeah, thank you. Hey, that is a great example, too, of who Christ was, going to those that others didn't want to talk to. And it's up to us, you know. The fact that I have friends, they're only going to be influenced by me, and you have friends that are only going to be influenced by you. And so it takes all of us to point everyone towards that eternity. Um, back home... I have like three main really close friends and two of them I took to a camp at the beginning of the week or beginning of the summer and they got saved but um, 
the, there's still one more and he's actually an atheist and I don't really know what to do about that but I mean now that we're all we're all Christian my other two friends are really growing in their faith I think we can all pray about it and make a change hopefully Absolutely. Hey, guys, it's really just as easy as living out what God's called us to. Like, this is not rocket science. I mean, the guys that he picked to follow him at the beginning were like fishermen and guys that didn't have it all going on together. So, like, he's using each and every one of us in our own ways. It's easy if we're willing to do it. Anyone else? Yep. So I have a friend that I've been praying about, and um, I danced with her, and she goes um, to a different college than me and stuff like that. But we danced in high school. And, yeah, I just would love just praying over meeting her before I go back to school and just talking to her more about God because she was very interested um, in that. And she, her family's not really Christian. And yeah, I want to like be a light to them and also like co-workers and like work and stuff. Um, Yeah, just showing God's um, love and care and like through what I do, not complaining and not, doing things like that, just loving others. Absolutely. Anything else? This is uh, is time to share. Anything that God putting on your heart to share? All right. So back home, um, I got a friend named Landon, um, and he just doesn't realize the power that the Lord has and is opting out of it. And he doesn't realize how much of a grip the enemy has on him, I don't think. Um, So I'm just sort of hoping that I can go back and use the knowledge that I've gained here to help him realize that he's stepping in the, digging a deeper hole the more he walks. Thank you. Yep. Hey, like I said, it's, it's really kind of easy, but it doesn't mean that it's not scary. So when you're, you're stepping into those places, particularly with close friends, like, I get it. We've been there, too. Like, it's not something that doesn't, I mean, it, it can still be scary, and you still walk into the courage, right? All right. So uh, I've got a friend, and he's a Christian, but he really just hasn't been growing in his faith, like, for the past couple of years. And I really want him to, so I'm going to try to help him grow. Good deal. Maybe just a couple more. Um, I have a friend uh, back home. His name's Sam, and uh, God's been, like, putting him on my heart recently. I've really been thinking about him, and uh, he's not a Christian, like, at all, and uh, I think I just really need to, like, invite him to my church and, uh, like, get him involved in Christ. Hey, thank you for sharing that. All hearts clear? Good? Cool. I'm going to 
dismiss us in a prayer. Um, really appreciate you sharing those people that are on your hearts. And, and if you didn't want to come up and share, but you've got got someone that God's placing on your heart, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, rough in style, and say that you probably do. Um, and so keep praying for opportunities to, to be Jesus to them, to help them understand that this isn't where we stay, right? It's up to us where we go, but this isn't where we stay. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God, that your father that you're creator, and yet you want us to call you daddy. Lord, thank you for inviting us into this mystery. We know that you can do all of this without us, but somehow you invite us in. You use us in spite of ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us, that you would be with us the rest of this day as we wrestle with what you're trying to tell us. Lord, as we go into the evening program and devotions tonight and, and We're looking towards the close of camp, but we know that you're not done. You're not done with every one of our hearts. And so we just pray that you continue to wrestle with us. Draw us into that intimacy. God, we love you. Amen.